Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts, as Pastor Jim Rennie continues to faithfully challenge and encourage us in the Word. And it is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hello, today we're going to be doing the reading from Daniel 11, 11 through 35. The kings of the south and the north. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will appear in Persia, and then a fourth, who will be far richer than all of the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out towards the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. The king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders will be even stronger than he and will rule his own kingdom with great power. After some years, they will become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance, but she will not retain her power and his power will not last. In those days, she will be handed over together with her royal escort and her father and the ones who supported her. One of her family line will arise to take her place. He will attack the forces of the king of the north and enter his fortress. He will fight against them and be victorious. He will also seize their gods, their metal images, and their valuable articles of silver and gold and carry them off to Egypt. For some years, he will leave the king of the north alone. Then the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will retreat to his own country. His sons will prepare for war and assemble a great army, which will sweep on like an irresistible flood and carry the battle as far as his fortress. The king of the south will march out of a rage and fight against the king of the north, who will raise a large army but it will be defeated. When the army is carried off, the king of the south will be filled with a pride and will slaughter many thousands, yet he will not remain triumphant. For the king of the north will muster another army larger than the first, and after several years, he will advance with a huge army fully equipped. In those times, many will rise against the king of the south. The violent men among your own people will rebel in the fulfillment of the vision, but without success. Then the king of the north will come up and build up siege ramps and will capture a fortified city. The forces of the south will be powerless to resist. Their best troops will not have the strength to stand. The invader will do as he pleases. No one will be able to stand against him. He will establish himself in the beautiful land, and he will have the power to destroy it. He will determine to come with the might of his entire kingdom and will make an alliance with the king of the south. And he will give him a daughter in marriage 
in order to overthrow the kingdom, but his plans will not succeed or help him. Then he will turn his attention to the coastlands and will take many of them, but a commander will put an end to his insolence and will turn his insolence back upon him. After this, he will turn back towards the fortress of his own country, but will stumble and fall to be seen no more. His successor will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. In a few years, however, he will be destroyed, not in anger or in battle. He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure, and he will seize it through intrigue. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him. Both it and the prince of the covenant will be destroyed. After coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully, and with only a few people he will rise to power. When the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers did. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth among his followers. He will plot to overthrow the fortresses, but only for a time. With a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because the plots devised against him. Those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. His armies will be swept away and many will fall in battle. The two kings with their hearts bent on evil will sit at the same table and lie to each other, but to no avail because the end still comes at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take actions against it and then return to his own country. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it is before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsook the Holy Covenant. His armed forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish and delay the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many. Through a time there will fall by the sword and be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble, so they may be refined purified and made spotless unto the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. Thank you, Joe. Well, what we've just heard and read is uh, already taken place. These are historical facts and 400 years before 
earlier, Daniel, the prophet Daniel, was given this interpretation and, uh, of what will happen in the future. These are all prophecies. And uh, from verse 36, really to the end of uh, chapter 12, we have uh, things yet to come in the future. But these things, what we learn today, has already happened. And hopefully we can shed more light on this today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're so thankful to be here. We ask for your wisdom, your help as we concentrate. Because if we can't concentrate and pay attention, then we're just not going to get it. But give us understanding of this message that we have prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. Titled, Explanation of Daniel's Vision. Last week we learned that the angel messenger came to answer Daniel's prayer and give him the interpretation of a very frightening vision that he had of the future. Now we read up here in these passages, the end of the Persian Empire. And if you don't like history, I don't know, just turn off because these are all historical facts that we're going to learn about today, and I hope you do like history. If you don't, then maybe today you can start to like it for the first time. The angel said to Daniel in verse 2, Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings. We're talking about the Persian Empire now. Three more kings will arise in Persia. And then a fourth who will be far richer than all the others. Here we have the prophecy, Daniel, regarding four Persian kings that would dominate as the leading empire in the world at that time. The fourth one is referring to Xerxes the Great, otherwise known as Ashurus. And as sure as I'm standing here, that was his name. He was favorable to Israel. Uh, and he married a Jewess. And her name was Esther. And you can read that story in the book of Esther in the Old Testament. And what happened? It was through her influence over the, her husband, the king, Xerxes, that her people, the Jews, were saved from extermination. Okay? Yet again. And people, evil people, inspired by the evil one, Satan, has tried to exterminate the Jews from the beginning of time. However, this King Xerxes, who was favorable to the Jews, allowed him to go back and that and rebuild the temple and re rebuild the walls and all that. He hated the Greeks, even though he was favorable towards the Jews. He hated the Greeks. And then he mustered a great army, thinking he was going to defeat them. However, he didn't. Verse 2 again. When he had gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. But Xerxes' plans, when he mustered the army to invade Greece and defeat them, it backfired because the Greeks defeated him. The Greeks defeated the Persians. 
and then they became the next most powerful empire on the face of the earth under the leadership of Alexander the Great. These are all historical facts in the vision that Daniel saw 400 years before. Now Daniel was about in his 90s when he saw this vision and the events that would happen in the future that would greatly affect his people, the Jews, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. The Jews in particular, but not in a good way. This is why he was so frightened and horrified by the vision that he saw, because it affected his people, the Jews. And uh, it affected them in a bad way, as we will learn very soon. Daniel saw and explained by the angel messenger between verses 1 and 35 that we've already heard and read, a future time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is called, believe it or not, the intertestament period, which lasted for 400 years years, otherwise known as the silent years, because we don't hear anything about what's going on in the Bible between the Old Testament, Malachi in the Old Testament, and Matthew, 400 years, the silent years. But there was a lot going on in the world in 400 years amongst the Gentile nations, which you can see Hopefully, you've got a handout. Thank you, Rick, for printing that off. And um, known as the silent years, and Israel was kind of stuck in the middle. And it talks about the kings of the north, the kings of the south, the kings of the east, kings of the west. This is all north of Israel, south of Israel, east, west of Israel. Israel was stuck in the middle with all these wars going on and especially between the Greeks. Now, we're going to learn, which we've already read, Alexander the Great was a great conqueror. He died very young. He was only like 33 years of age when he died. These historical facts were explained to Daniel by the messenger. It's all come true. He predicts the defeat of the Persian Empire by the Greeks under the commander, the great commander, Alexander. This happened in 335 BC, 335 years before Christ. And it tells us that in verse 3. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. Unfortunately, like I said, Alexander didn't live to be very old. He, and he had, no, he, he had no heirs. I don't mean he was bald. He had no heirs, not hairs. He had no successor to carry on and inherit his empire. So what happens? We've studied some of this before in earlier chapters. And Remember, he was favorable to Israel because when he conquered the Persians, came to Babylon, 
they showed him these scriptures and the scrolls that referred to this great king that would come and rule with great power. And they said, this is talking about you, Alexander. And he was favorable towards the Jews. He allowed them to continue with their cultural practices and also their worship practices, but it wouldn't be going on for very long because not all these people that took over from him were that favorable towards Israel, which we'll find out in due course. So Alexander died. Won't go into details of how, why, but, you know, he did, like we all do. And after that, four of his generals, his commanders, they took over command of the entire Greek Empire, which was huge. One to the north, south, east, and west. They divided up the empire between them, it says in verse 4. And after he has arisen, who's he? Alexander. His empire will be broken up. Which empire? Greek. And parceled out towards the four winds of heaven. He's talking about the four commanders, the four generals. It will not go to his descendants. Why? He didn't have any. Nor will it have the power he exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others, which it was. Those four generals. They became kings. King of the north, south, east, and west. And over a period of time, there was bitter rivalry between these four generals because they all want to get preeminence and be number one. And wars were breaking out between them over a 130-year period between especially King Seleucus, which you see in your handout, and also Ptolemy. Daniel's frightening vision saw what would happen. It gives us in this 130-year synopsis of wars between the Syrian Empire under Seleucid, Seleucus, the king of the north, and his successors, and the southern Egyptian empire ruled by Ptolemy. I know it says with a P, but in Greek, you don't pronounce the P, okay? It's Ptolemy, and uh, he's the king of the south. And his successors were fighting against the king of the north, Seleucus, and his successors, and it went on and on and on, for about 130 years, these wars were going on, and you can see that in your handout of what happened. It's historical facts. Talk about the silent years. Remember, it's the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But it was a very bad period in history for Israel, which we'll learn about in a minute. The Jews were caught in the middle of all these wars that lasted for over 200 years, in actual fact, between these Gentile nations that dominated Israel. 
starting with the Greeks and then we had the Romans, right? So if you look up the history of the Greek Empire during the time, it makes for a much more interesting drama, which you can see in your handout. And I haven't got time to go into all the details, and you can see it there. And you can even look it up in the, the history books of what happened to these intermarriages. One of them was Cleopatra. So this is about 11 years old when she married another 12-year-old. So they can make alliances together. And she became the queen of Egypt, but she wasn't Egyptian. Oh, no, no, she wasn't. Did you know that? Interesting drama that ensued amongst the Greeks, these intermarriages, more interesting, more dramatic than the Game of Thrones. And I haven't seen the Game of Thrones. Somebody put it on Facebook the other day. Who hasn't seen one episode of the of Grace of Thrones. I have not. I don't know anything about it, but I know people are absolutely addicted to it. And they've seen it even more than once, and it goes on and on and on. Who, who's seen it? Anybody here? Okay, is it good? This is far more interesting than the Game of Thrones, because this is not fiction. This has actually happened with political intrigue alliances, marriages, wars, treachery, murders by poisoning, etc., etc. It actually is a historical Greek tragedy of gigantic proportions. And we don't have time to go into all the details of the history. It doesn't take too long. But you can read what happened between verses 5 in verse 20, also look at the sheet. All these things happened just as the angel told Daniel it would. This vision that he saw hundreds of years, probably 400 years in Babylon. Daniel was in his 90s and he never went back to Israel. Would you, if you're in your 90s, go all the way back there? And, no, he stayed, he, he most likely did die in Babylon. He had things to do while he was there. Be a witness. Now we're going to learn between verses 21 and 35 about one of the most wicked people who's ever lived. And we've talked about him before. It wouldn't hurt. The best form of teaching is repetition. Because if you're anything like me, we don't get it the first time we hear it. We learn from Daniel's vision about the epitome of evil in the form of Antichus IV, otherwise known as Epiphanes. Now, you've, you've heard the word epiphany. Yes, epiphany. It's like God is manifest, you know. The appearance of God is an epiphany. I saw an epiphany. Well, he preferred to be called epiphany, epiphanies which means God manifest. He said, look at me. You're looking at me. You're looking at God. Here I am. Epiphanes. And there's another word that the Greeks played on words. And it was a close, close word that made madman, which he was. Crazy as an outhouse rat. Not that I've ever seen one. I've used an outhouse, though. And that's just another story. Okay, 
God manifest. Anyone use it? No. What Daniel saw in his vision appalled and frightened him. Antiochus Epiphanes hated the Jews so much he wanted to exterminate them like so many before him. And he put an image of the Greek god Zeus in God's holy temple. This is an absolute abomination. That's why they call it abomination of desolation. And then to show complete disrespect, hatred, and contempt for the Jews, he sacrificed a pig. A pig to the Jews is anathema. It's a dirty, filthy animal that they would never eat, which is unfortunate because bacon is, you can't, you can't get a good piece of fried bacon, can you? Now, I put that in as a request. They've got the pastor's appreciation dinner coming up on the, the 8th. And last year, we didn't have any bacon. Where's the bacon? And uh, the guy called me up and said, we're inviting you to the Gideon's pastor's appreciation dinner on the 8th. I said, don't forget the bacon. He said, I'll put a word in for you. I said, okay. Everyone's looking around for the bacon. There's no Jews there. And some of them do eat it anyway. Just like the Seventh-day Adventists. Not supposed to, but I know they do, some of them. When no one's looking. Complete contempt. They killed the, he killed the pig on the altar. And then he spread the blood all over the temple. He desecrated it. And then he forced the priests to eat that pig. The priests. And if they didn't, they were going to end up like that pig. Deaded. Verse 31. His armed forces, talking about Antichrist Epiphanes, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple. Isn't that what we've just been talking about? The temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. They can't go in there anymore. It was desecrated. And then he will set up the abomination that causes desolation. The image of Zeus and the pig on the altar. All right? Predicted 400 years before it happened. Then we learn about the Maccabees, those brave remnants of religious zealot Jews that attacked the forces of Greece in Israel and defeated them. With the help of the Romans, they couldn't have done it by themselves. And then Rome became the dominating empire after the Greeks. And Israel stuck in the middle. Rome became the occupying power, as we know. And it says that between verses 33 34. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword and be burned or captured or plundered. This is referring to the Jews. When they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. So it wasn't a total revolt. And not everyone was behind the Maccabees and the Romans just dominated. Right. All the suffering of the Jewish people down the years has been brought about because of their rebellion against God. 
and their rejection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now we read in Matthew 27, 22, during one of Jesus' so-called trials, Pontius Pilate asked the crowd, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? In other words, the Messiah. What shall I do with him then? And they could have let him go. It was either Barabbas or Jesus. We represent Barabbas, the sinner. And Jesus died for Barabbas, and he died for us. And they could have said, save Jesus, crucify Barabbas. And what did they do? They said, crucify him. Pilate publicly proclaims that Jesus was innocent, and he washed his hands of his blood. And then they all shouted the louder, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate washed his hands. He declared himself to be innocent of his blood. And then he told the crowd that Jesus' death is your responsibility. It's the responsibility that the mob accepts, shouting the chilling words, his blood is on us and our children. His blood be on us and our children. And it has been we know what happened in the Holocaust and the Jews have suffered so much persecution and hatred for so, so long. And it didn't get any better when they rejected the one that came to save them, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So the question is, are the Jews cursed? Are the Jews cursed? You would think so for what they've suffered, wouldn't you? Does that mean that God has cursed the Jews? As some people believe, they've blown it. They've rejected the Messiah. And now God has cast them aside and he's favorable towards the Gentiles. No, that is not the case at all because Daniel received the assurance from God's angel that the predicted persecution of the Jews would eventually come to an end. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined. See, God hasn't cast them off. They're being refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end. Now, this is yet to come for it will still come at the appointed time. It's not the appointed time yet, but it will be. But unfortunately, there's going to be more persecution and more tribulation to come, and not just for Israel during the tribulation period, but for all the nations. This is going to happen. Because the wrath of God is going to be poured out on the nations, on this earth, in the future, it's going to take place. But where there is God's wrath, there is always God's mercy. Thank God for God's mercy. Otherwise, we could be consumed. Thank God for God's mercy. 
Thank God for God's second chances and third chances and fourth and fifth and blah, blah, blah. Don't ever make God a promise you can't keep. God hasn't forgot his covenant promises to Israel. Once God makes the promises, he cannot break it. When Jesus comes back to rule and reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's not coming back as a baby in the manger. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the judge on this earth. And then during that time, multitudes of Jews will acknowledge him and realize and know for sure when they see him that he is the Messiah, the Messiah that they, their ancestors rejected 2,000 years ago. And many multitudes of Jews will be saved. All Israel, it says, will be saved. I want to close with these verses. In Romans, my favorite book in the Bible, Romans chapter 11. Let me just grab the old King James. Not literally. He's long dead, you know. All righty. Romans 11, I want to read the first verse. This is what Paul the Jew, the saved Jew, has to say about Israel, his people. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I am also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. No, he hasn't cast them away. But they're in like a slumber. But one day they'll recognize Jesus as Messiah when he comes back. Let me read these. Same chapter, verses 25 through 32, and I'll close with this. Paul writes, I do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed of this mystery. See, all the mysteries that were in the Old Testament have been revealed in the New. Daniel didn't know what that vision was all about. It was a mystery. Brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full numbers of the Gentiles has come in. So God knows exactly when every non-Jew will be saved and then the end will come. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So we're living in the times of the Gentiles now. As it is written, and when it's written, it's a fact. Because God wrote the book. The deliverer will come from Zion. Who's that? Jesus. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved 
talking about the Jews, on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience because Jesus came to his own and his own received him not and the gospel was taken to the Gentiles, yes? So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy on you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. God knows those who are saved. God knows those who will be saved because of his mercy. And he will not discriminate. All right. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord willing, we shall conclude chapter 11 next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the attentiveness of your people. And uh, we are more than grateful that you knew the time, the exact moment when we would see the light in the face of Jesus Christ and receive you as Savior and be part of your family. We thank you for your foreknowledge. It seems that you're not in control of some people, but you are definitely in control and eventually you will return to set up your kingdom. And all Israel, the remnant, shall be saved. And you haven't forgot about your covenant promises that you made. And we're grateful that we've been grafted in to the olive tree, the people of Israel. And there may be somebody listening to this message, wherever you may be. It's going to affect you one way or another. As soon as the Antichrist will come, the tribulation will come. Will you go through the tribulation when God pours out his wrath on this earth? If you're not saved, you will. But God has not appointed us to wrath. And he's given you the opportunity to receive his mercy by receiving his son, Jesus Christ. Question is, have you? Have you? If you're not saved, then you're lost. And you will spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. But God doesn't want you to go there. That's why he sent his son to die for you, a sinner, to take the punishment that you deserve on the cross. And he died, he was buried, he rose again from the dead. And if you believe that, confess it with your mouth, ask God to forgive you of your sins, and receive Jesus as your Savior, and then live for him, and tell others about him. And do not be ashamed. Because Jesus said, if those are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them when I return in my glory. Help us to be faithful, to do what we're supposed to do. Don't be like Israel that rebelled and have since 
suffered the consequences for hundreds and hundreds of years. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine. For Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m., we are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.